You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Welcome to the program. Today is the 16th day of September 2021. Uh, Today we're going to be on Chapter 8 of the United Order, Order and Disorder. We're going to start on page 95 and we'll go to page 114. We might have to do two parts. I'm not sure. I'm kind of sick. I decided to stay home tonight because I do not feel well. But I thought maybe I could try to do the radio program, so we'll see how it goes. Um, You can read this for free online at 
at ogdencrowd.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Also at facebook.com forward slash L-A-D-U-R-U-S 1977. I've posted the text there. There's also a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Fundamentally Mormon, and the guest call-in number, once again, is 917-889-8827. There are 50 lines available for people to call in to listen. If you want me to uh, bring you into the uh, call screening room, push one. I'll bring you into the call screening room, and then you can talk to me. And if you want to go live on the air, we will uh, figure it out at that point. All right, let's get right into the reading. Thus saith the Lord unto my servant Brigham, Call ye, call ye, upon the inhabitants of Zion to organize themselves in the order of Enoch, in the new and everlasting covenant, according to the order of heaven, for the furtherance of my kingdom upon the earth, for the perfecting of the saints, for the salvation of the living and the dead. I actually have the book of the order of Enoch. I don't know where it is, but I know I have it. Kim, you don't know either. Anyway, I do have it. It's something that they talk about, but they don't ever, like, give the book of the Order of Enoch, but it is a thing. Anyway, continuing on with the quote, you can can accommodate yourselves by calling this a new revelation if you choose. If there is no new revelation... I'm sorry, it is no new new revelation, but it is the express word and will of God to the people. Brigham Young, 1874, Journal of Discourses, Volume 17, page 154. What are you working on? Oh, okay. All right, in 1872, Brigham Young delivered a sermon in which he said, if Babylon should happen to tip over so that we could not reach out to the necessities of life, we should be in a bad condition. Yeah, and it was like, it's way worse now than it was then. But I want to put you in your mind these things, and it is my duty to say to the Latter-day Saints that they should take measure to sustain themselves They should lay a foundation for feeding and clothing themselves. Journal of Discourses, Volume 15, page 158, page 96, 4%. Within a year after this sermon, Babylon did tip over. A national depression hit the United States and reached its bottom by 1875 and didn't turn around until 1879. It was during these six years that people all over the country were trying to find ways of financial relief. On January 11th, 1874, Brigham Young began, hold on, I need to kick some kids. Get out of here. Thank you. Don't look at me like that. Why is she walking on my feet again? Get away from me. Do not bring that dog near me. Sorry. We're, uh, we've got a dog that usually is in the backyard and Olivia brought into the house. And every single time she walks near me, this dog walks on my feet and it's driving me insane. Anyway, continuing on with this reading. 
On January 11, 1874, Brigham Young began to take active measures for establishing the United Order among the Mormons. At a meeting of the home in Erastus Snow in St. George, Robert Gardner gathered a list of about a dozen names of people who were willing to enter the order. Brigham Young said that it was enough for a start. On February 9th, Gardner was set apart as the president of the United Order, and on February 15th, in a general meeting, Brigham Young told them it was time for all the saints to enter into that law. This was the beginning of a major change in church in the church resulting in at least 220 different United Orders. And quote, see Building the City of God by Leonard Arrington Fox in May. I'm always saying Leonard Arrington. I'm not sure if it's Leonard Arrington. I just know that he was a church historian. It says Arrington Fox in May, page 414 through 419. Brigham was thoroughly convinced that this was the time for the orders to be initiated. Quote, if we are disposed to enter the, the order of Venich, now is the accepted time and blessed are the Latter-day Saints. But if they are not uh, disposed to enter the United Order, the curse of God will come upon this people. I cannot help it. I will not curse them. I will not curse them. But the time has come for this work to be commenced. Annals of Southern Utah Mission, Book B, Page 218, and I'm just saying annals because last time this word came up, my wife said annals, the annals of church history. It says says annals, Kim. You're muted. It says anal. A-N-A-L is anal. I know. Annals. That's annals. Do you want to read? Okay. I'll just keep yourself muted and I'll continue reading. Uh, I had to give her crap about that because it was kind of funny. The annals of church history. Well, that's one way of putting it. (laughs) Anyway, all right. um, (laughs) Comedic relief, yeah, because I'm way too serious. On March 11th, 1874, from St. George, Brigham Young telegraphed instructions to the apostles in Salt Lake City Concerning the United Order and its new reestablishment, on page 97 at 9%. Part of the telegram read, uh, Such as do not wish to join, treat them with all kindness and fellowship as though they were in the order, for many will wish to wait and see what the results of the action will be. But those who have been preaching this order for 30 or 40 years need Need not wait any longer. Building the City of God, uh, Arrington, Fox, and May, page 204. After organizing the Saints in St. George, Brigham recommended that the Saints in Santa Clara enter a cooperative system where they could raise fruit and vegetables and crops best suited to low altitudes. And... uh, Santa Clara is actually by uh, St. George. It's really nice there. Um, I used to live in the area. So, uh, in fact, when I moved down there, uh, it was flooding, weirdly enough. I think it was in 2006. 
Anyway, settlers in Pine Valley at higher altitudes would raise grain and potatoes and other high-altitude crops. The Saints in Washington, that's Washington, Utah, and Price City. Hey! Price City. They had United Orders near where we live. So that means it can happen here. (laughs) Um, We're organized into the United Order in February. Then in March, other orders were established in Rockville, Virgin City, Tocqueville, Kanab, Johnson, Perea, and Mount Carmel, and Glendale by Brigham Young. Uh, George Albert Smith and John W. Young, then Arasa Snow, Milo Andrus, and Angus M. Cannon went out organizing orders in the north and the west, including Pine Valley, Pinto, Panaka, and Hebron. Orders were also organized this month at Morristown, Leeds, Harrisburg, and Shunsburg. On April 6, 1874, Brigham Young and a large group of others, including George Albert Smith, Erastus Snow, Milo Andrews, Angus M. Cannon, began their travel north. They held meetings at almost every town they entered and organized them into United Order. They established, oh wait, let me see here, we're on page 98, 14%. They established orders in Bellevue, Canara, New Harmony, Cedar City, Parowan, Paragonia, or Paragona, Paragona, whatever, Beaver, which was actually pretty close to where I was when I was caught up in 2003, Kenosh, Fillmore, Holden, Sip. Scipio, Nephi, and Payson. Their party reached Salt Lake City on April 20th. The central theme of their preaching was both spiritual and temporal. The saints were told to be self-sustaining and not import or buy anything that they could make for themselves. They were not to have any poor among them. Everyone could labor in some way. Brigham Young advised, quote, let some of our sisters take charge of the nursery to see that the children are properly fed, clothed, nursed, and taught, and inculcate good order and conduct, place good teachers in the schoolroom, and have beautiful gardens and teach and teach them to know and enjoy the beatitudes, the beauties, I'm sorry, the beauties of flowers and plants and their uses, astringement, cathartic, aristocratic, Astartic, I guess. I don't know what that word is. Do you know what that word is? Are you even paying attention? I'm going to look up that word. There's a definition here. The law applies to both functional and aesthetic objects. Decorative, ornamental, graceful, elegant, exquisite, beautiful, attractive, pleasing, lovely, stylish, artistic, tasteful, and good taste. Okay, aesthetic. Let's see what this other definition says. Concern the beauty or the appreciation of beauty, the picture 
give great aesthetic pleasure. Giving or designed to give pleasure through beauty and pleasing appearance, the law applies to both functional and aesthetic objects. Okay, sounds good. Well, we'll just go on. With beautiful colors, um, teach them lessons of beauty while young, playing in the dirt and mud. When old enough, place within their reach the advantages and benefits of scientific education. Let them study the formation of the earth, the organization of the human system and other other sciences, and quote Mormons United Order in Utah, Dr. Angus Woodbury, page 10. The Order of Enoch spread in Utah, Wyoming, and Idaho to include towns of Bear Lake, Montpelier, Paris, Liberty, Ovid, Bloomington, St. Charles, Fishhaven, Lake Town, Woodruff, Randolph, Elmy, Malad, Clarkston, Mentora, and other or, and, and others. Orson Pratt and John Taylor went south and organized others. <coughs> Excuse me, we're on page 99 at 19%. And organized others in Nephi, Moroni, Mount Pleasant, Spring City, Ephraim, Fairview, Manti, and Fountain Green. From Paris, Idaho, in the north, to Joseph City, Arizona, in the south, and western to Bunkerville, Nevada, and the United Effort was effective in helping the, the saints out of the catastrophic depression of the Gentile economy system. The saints were catching the spirit and the effects of equality, independence, and imp- improv- improved economic affluence. While these orders were being established throughout these four states, many were also established within the wards of the Greater Salt Lake Valley. The people were inexperienced and untaught on the plans and procedures for establishing or living a united order because so few men had any practice with it. Because these orders were established so quickly and the leaders had no time to be trained or educated in this economic system, each order had a different method of organization. However, the object of self-sustaining cooperative was the same in spite of the many different approaches. Some communities, in some communities, it was merely a loose cooperative undertaking. In other places, it was highly communistic. In Hiram, Cash Valley, for example, for example, the people owned in common the sawmill and the tannery and the store, but the individuals owned the farms and the houses and the cattle. In Price in Carbon County, which is close to where we live, on the other hand, the people lived together as one large family. These far- Their farms, mills, horses, cattle, wagons, houses, and everything except the cleaning they or clothing they wore were owned in common. They all ate at the same table. The women prepared the food and washed the dishes cooperatively. And quote, Mormon Group Life by Erickson, page 51. Kim, what would you think about that? Were you even listening? Amberly, get out of this room and you stop bothering us. We're doing a radio show. Stephanie, I've had her telling Emmett to get me salad for 20 minutes now. And he's already got me to listen to the radio show. 
Emmett, you can listen to the radio. Hey, excuse me. Shut your mouth. You can listen to the radio show and do the thing, okay? Mom asked you to do something, do the thing. Um, I don't care what you're saying. Do what you're told. Please go get Mom the salad or whatever it is she's asking. And you need to go upstairs, Amberly. Are you done eating? Okay, go get dinner out of here. Sorry, the six-year-old. So they were just talking about in price, the United Order and price, that they all had everything in common except for the clothing that they wore. And they all ate together and did dishes together and did everything together. And that doesn't sound like the kind of United Order that you would be interested in. Why? Oh, hold on. Why? Why? Uh, Because you want your separate house. Um, oh, echo. yes. There's, there's that. An echo. Oh, there's an echo for me? I muted it. Okay. Me or you? I was just going to say the um, the reason I want my own place is not because I want to have more than anybody else, but um, when it comes to a bunch of people, uh, especially women, um, all together, then it seems like everybody always wants to be the best or be better and have control over everybody else. And I don't want that. I don't care to be telling other people what they need to do. I just want my own solitude. So that's why I would like my own place, just a place that I can call my own so that I have quiet and solitude. I don't want to be around everybody all the time. I'm just saying. Your microphone. Mm-hmm. I can hear me sense. But I don't even need to use my microphone because yours is so crappy. It doesn't have any noise canceling. Oh, I thought it would be really good because if you can hear me in it, if you can hear you and mine, then it's really good. It's picking you up. It's a good mic. <laughs> mine is uh, muted. It's not a good mic if... Uh, if there's no noise canceling, because oh. it means it picks up everything everywhere, which means I have to I had to turn my volume all the way down on my phone just so it wouldn't echo because it was picking my phone my headset up. Oh, okay. Did you hear it echoing? I did. Yeah. I think I heard a little like a background thing. Anyway, do you know where I'm at? No, I was trying to follow along. I had Amberly in my face. Okay. All right. Within weeks, uh, new orders were organized throughout the state in Provo, Pleasant Grove, Spanish Fork, Lehigh, Ogden, Plain City, and other communities. Enthusiasm was contagious. Everyone seemed caught up in the spirit and desire to establish or belong to an order. Each conference and each Sabbath meeting was dominated with the subject and the unity of temporal... Hold on. What are you standing there? Okay. And the unity of temporal with spiritual was the theme. Brigham Young asked speakers to present arguments both for and against the United Orders. 
Wilfred Woodruff said the only argument he could give against the order was that it would prevent us from buying merchants merchandise from our enemies. Apostle George Q. Cannon reporting, reported a visit he had with the order and price and described the unity and cooperation they enjoyed there. I spoke to the superintendent. How do you manage with, with your, your men? Are the brethren willing when you require them to do anything? Uh, do they go with you with alacrity? I don't know what that word is. I guess we're going to look it up. Define. Alacrity. 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 I know I'm joking, Kim. She accepted with... How did you say it again? Kim. Alacrity. Alacrity. Eagerness, willingness, readiness, enthusiasm, adore, fervor, keenness. Joyousness, liveliness, zeal, promptness. What? The opposite of apathy. Okay. Oh, yes, we. Uh, do they go with whatever that word is that I can't remember how to say it? Alacrity. <laughs> Kim's laughing at me. Uh, or do they have difficulty in controlling them? Not in the least, said he. I have never made a requirement or asked a man to do anything that he has refused to do. And in our farming, they have worked well and patiently together, and they are satisfied with the arrangement. I spoke to others who worked there and made inquiries inquiries of them, and I found in every instance that there was a good deal of satisfaction in the arrangement. Journal of Discourses, Volume 17, page 238. When Apostle uh, Cannon mentioned traveling to the little settlement called Hebron, where about 30 families were living the United Order, in that settlement they have labored during this past season in the United Order, and they have, and they told me that they have raised double the amount of crops that they raised before and all their labors were proportionately advanced, and this was the testimony of a good many in the settlement. Journal of Discourses, Volume 17, page 239. But after the first six months of organizing the saints into united orders, the effort reached its zenith. From that point on, the church leaders had to constantly encourage them to continue with the program, the cooperative effort at Brigham City proved to be more successful than others. The organization drive seemed to have come to the climax at state conference in Brigham City on June 28th. Brigham Young, George A. Smith, Daniel H. Wells, Orson Pratt, Wilfred Woodruff, John Taylor, and Erasmus Snow were all there. Here was Brigham City, which had been operating successfully several departments of the cooperative capitalistic system which they proposed to reorganize under the United Order system. The change was easily made and continued to function just as effectively under the system. Page 102, we're at 33%. And Kim is going to read, so I'm going to mute myself. Go ahead, Kim. Good 
The organization was now practically completed. The General United Order of Zion had stake branches in nearly all the stake headquarters. Each stake had many branches in the various wards or settlements. Some stakes reporting that every ward had a United Order branch. The personnel or personnel of the United Order was, in the majority of cases, identical with the church officials. <clears throat> the presidents of the stakes were, in mi- most cases, heads of the stake branches of the order, and the bishops of the wards were usually selected to head the ward branches of the order. These produced two mammoth organizations that were practically identical in personnel. One was a mechanical robot set up by the other. End quote. That comes from the Mormon United Order in Utah, Dr. Angus Woodbury, pages 12 through 13. <clears throat> Sorry, usually I use something like to read with. I was just finding something. Obviously, not everyone in the church belonged to a United Order. Everyone was a free agent and could make his own decision to join or remain out of these orders. Some wanted to wait to see and see if they succeeded or failed before they made a, con- a consecration. Brigham Young encouraged the saints to be rebaptized when going into this order. So they would realize that it was a higher principle of the gospel that should be taken very seriously as a covenant with God. At Ephraim on June 27, 1875, the 31st anniversary of the martyrdom of Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith, seven of the 12 apostles were rebaptized. In the course of the next few weeks, thousands followed their example, page 103. Rebaptism did strengthen many of the saints, but for many others, the Order of Enoch was just difficult to obey, and their efforts failed. However, in some instances, the Order was reestablished, as it was in Tokerville. 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 Yep, <clears throat> Tokerville. This community began a second time on August 18, 1875, with $7,000 to initiate a wine business, the remains of what of that winery winery sorry still stand today, but every order had its days of trouble and sorrow. The strain of management or else weakness in the members themselves were too severe for most of the orders. All of them were operating with different degrees of success or failures. Some members had gone into it with a complete consecration. Others still had private interests in business. Some consecrated all their time to the order, while others were only half into it. Part of the members wanted money for their wages. Some drew all of their credits out as soon as they earned them, while a few took only the very essentials to exist. The credit system was probably one of the greatest single problems in the United Order. Some thought it should be managed as a company with people drawing credits against their capital stock. Others thought it should be operated as a large family, each receiving what they needed regardless of their credits or 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 debits. Strangely enough, both systems in some places did prove successful, while in others it seemed to be reason for the division and failure. It was the complaining of the members that probably created most of the real trouble. Members would complain about the management or, or their neighbors or their personal treatment or the way the tools were handled or the livestock. They would grumble about those that were lazy or had a better job or the general conditions of the project. Complaints were common, both written and oral. Church headquarters was flooded with requests for answers to their problems. The efforts of the church leaders now turned from recruiting members to the order to defending it and encouraging members to stay with it. In November of 1876, Brigham Young made his last journey to St. George for the winter. He was concerned about finishing the temple. 
and holding the various orders together. Said he, in Building the City of God, Arrington, Fox and May, page 168, quote, Brethren, with regard to the United Order, you are my witness that we did not ask for your gold, nor silver, nor houses, nor land, nor goods, nor chattels, nor anything else of property kind. But we asked for you, your time, your talents, and all the ability that God has given you to enter into the United Order after the pattern of heaven to build up the Zion of God upon this land. You may not understand one fact that is before our eyes, that this temple in St. George is being built upon the principle of the United Order. And when we cease our, selfish, our selfishness and our whole interest is for the building up of the kingdom of God on earth, we can then build temples and do anything that we want to with united voice and hands, end quote. Again, that's from Building the City of God, Arrington, yeah. Fox and May, page 168. And now we're on page 105. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to let me talk? Oh, I didn't know you needed to talk. I, just... I, I don't have hearsay on. Okay. Well, I was muted, so okay. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to bring up this whole thing about the winery. So in Doctrine and Covenants section 129 in the sub- section subheading, Brigham Young, or not Brigham Young, uh, Bruce R. McConkie actually wrote that this is the revelation that gives us the ability to use water for sacrament. But like nowhere in that revelation does it say anything about water. In fact, it says use wine or strong drink of your own making for the sacrament. It doesn't say water at all in any way, shape, or form. And so they did have wineries to make sacrament wine for sacrament. And if you lived in an area where you couldn't make wine, you made whiskey or bourbon or vodka for sacrament. This was the way it was done. If you, if you lived too far north and you did not have wineries and you could not raise grapes, you made strong drink, which is what the Revelation says. Heber J. Grant, during Prohibition, wanted to get popularity among the, uh, the Gentiles back in the 1920s, and he come up with this whole command about the word of wisdom being a commandment and made that into, like, the law of the church, but There's no revelation authorizing him to do that. In fact, in the revelation that we have, it is not given by way of commandment. Um, I used to be so strict in my observance of the word of wisdom that I wouldn't even use mouthwash with alcohol in it. My first wife, Rebecca, she would freak out if if I used um, mouthwash with alcohol in it because it gets into your blood system and it it makes you unpure. And she was President Hinckley's niece and she was nuts. Anyway, um, but I I actually remember praying in Georgia, right in the grocery store about it. And um, God actually told me that it is not a sin to be drunk. No, it is a sin to be drunk. It's not a sin to drink. It's a sin to be drunk, and that if I drink alcohol, that if I feel the effects of it, that I need to put it down and drink something else. This whole idea that somehow alcohol um, 
makes it so that you can't have the spirit is so full of crap. What happened to uh, Noah when he cursed Canaan for sleeping with his wife, by the way, which is what happened. Uh, Noah was drunk, completely drunk, online, but he was able to use his priesthood to curse Canaan. It didn't, it didn't like remove his priesthood at all. So in early church history, They'll talk about the wineries and the distilleries where they made strong drink. And part of that was it wasn't a sin to drink alcohol. It was a sin to be a drunkard. There's a big difference. And you can use wine or strong drink, which is whiskey and bourbon and vodka for your sacrament shots. That's a thing. That's in the Doctrine and Covenants section, one, uh, section 29, I think it is. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. Kim, are you ready to get back into the reading? It looks like you're texting somebody. I'll mute myself. Okay, go ahead. All right, continuing on page 105. In 1877, the St. George Temple was dedicated. Orders at Glenwood, Orderville, Richfield, and Brigham City were successful and prospering, but... Amidst these successes was the collapse of many others. Some had attempted sh- uh, stock or share companies. Others were co-ops or total consecrations with d- dividends on surplus. Some were just small type orders with only a few members, while others took in stakes or large territories. But Young's practical advice com- um, comprised a few rules for success. He explained in Journal of Discourse, Volume 16, page 11, quote, I know how to start such a society right in this city and how to make it its members rich. Would you like to know how to do this? I can tell you in a very few words. Never want a thing you cannot get. Live within your means. Manufacture that which you wear and raise that which you eat. Raise every calf and lamb. Raise the chickens and have your eggs. Make your butter and cheese and always have a little to spare. The first year we raise a crop, and we have more than we want. We buy nothing. We sell a little. The next year, we raise more. We buy nothing, and we sell more. In this way, we could pile up the gold and silver, and in the 20 years, 100 families working like this could buy out their neighbors. End quote. From Journal of Discourse, Volume 16, page 11. More than 200 different order United Order programs were begun, but only a small number were successful for more than a few years. It has been estimated that during the first year of the organization of these orders, nearly half of them were unsuccessful. Page 106. Um, apparently, he didn't know how, it would, how to make it work. And then what happens, and this happens in the uh, church today, is when it doesn't work, then it is not the fault of the prophets or the leaders. It is the fault of the members, and that's what they always say. Well, it must be because you are not being selfless enough. It must be because you are not doing something. You're not praying hard enough. You're not something enough, and they blame it on the people rather than the leaders, where it should have been a spiritual thing. Well, they didn't actually give them hardly any instruction on how to live the United Orders at all. They just like would set somebody apart and they would be like, go to it, figure it out, you know? So, um, and I don't know if they actually taught, like Joseph Smith actually did have 
instructions on how to live United Orders and how things should be. Uh, Brigham didn't listen. Uh, there was a lot of records that were lost when they left Nauvoo as well. Um, a lot of church records were lost because they decided to uh, load one of the wagons, the covered wagons, way too heavy and take it across the ice and it fell through the ice and lots of things were lost. So we don't know if they had all the records that, you know, that were about this, but there were records. There was instructions on how all this stuff was done. But you know what? That's what happens when the church is cursed. They didn't finish the temple in Nauvoo. The father who was supposed to come restore the fullness of the priesthood never came to restore the fullness of the priesthood. Jesus Christ never appeared in the Nauvoo temple. No angel ever appeared in the Nauvoo temple. Jesus said, if you do what I say, I will fight your battles for you in section 124, but that never happened. And they were cast out of Nauvoo, and they were cursed, and they were rejected. So, you know, if they went into uh, the wilderness, as they did, without all of the instructions, then that was just part of the curse. So, anyway... Um, my wife is throwing books around the, the room, I guess. She's actually, she just dropped her book. She was trying to get up. What page are we on? I, do you want me to read? Okay. Do you want me to read? Okay. You go do that and I'll take care of the reading. So we're at 53% on page 106. Time and space did not permit a detailed study of the many different orders of that period, but a short review of the rise and fall of some of them has been included. Brief histories on Kanab, Mount Carmel, and St. George will occupy the balance of this chapter. The following chapter, A Glimpse of Success, will cover the more successful orders in Richfield, Brigham City, and Orderville. Kanab. John John R. Young arrived in Kanab on March 11, 1874, with a letter from Brigham Young and George Albert Smith, authorizing him to establish a united order in Kanab Stake. The next couple of days, the people unanimously approved the order, and 367 people volunteered to join. Included among the volunteers was Tuba, a friendly Hopi Indian, and there's actually a town named after him in northern Arizona on the Indian Reservation, Tuba, Arizona. Uh, Let's see. Who joined and gave his horse and colt. He was the first of his people to accept baptism and the first to enter the United Order. The order was gradually built up to become a very prosperous and promising settlement. And at one time or another, the following concerns appeared on the the books. Um, Let's see. Knab Lumber Company, the Saw Company, the Tannery, the Manufacturing Company, the Brickyard, the Co-op Sheep Herd, the Sink Valley Ranch, the Dairies at Cave Lakes, Swallow Park, and Buttermilk. Let's see. And that's the end of the quote. Knab United Order by P.T. Riley, Utah Historical Quarterly, Volume 42, page 152. Difficulties, however, were soon encountered when the people were divided on the leadership of the order. Some chose to follow their Bishop Levi Stewart, 
Well, it is contended that Zhang Ying was the president of the order. And we're on page 107 at 58%. This became a major problem for everyone. One of the members of the of the order wrote in his journal, and uh, quote, President Brigham Young sent a letter for, of instruction for the people to elect a president for the order and said, let them, let him be bishop. Levi Stewart was the bishop of the ward as a member of the ward. I did not consider that he had any authority to change his position. And as John R. Young's authority as president of the United Order did not appear uh, did not appear to be fully sustained in my mind, I voted for Brother Stewart to be president, and of course, Bishop was sustained by the majority. John R. Young, having previously promised to sustain whoever was elected, the felling in his promise in the few hours another party was organized with him at their at their head as president of the order. Thus, there was again a division of the people. There were two meetings held on the Sabbath day, representing two parties, one under the direction of B.P. Stewart and under the, one under the direction of J.R. Young, and, quote, Diary of William Henry Solomon. See, and this is why I, uh, why I have been commanded to organize a church called the Church of the Living Messiah and the School of the Prophets and all of this, but I, I don't mind teaching. I hate trying to organize people because people want it their way and they want to argue and they want to be contentious and I've seen it in so many different groups I've seen it um, in history and you know we have to have the United Order in order for Zion to be redeemed but getting to that point I don't even want to think about it because people are just it's, uh, it's like hurting cats if if you could imagine how it would be to try to herd a bunch of cats, that's what trying to herd the saints is. Now, there should have been um, a proper structure for the United Order to be built up. Each ward should have a United Order, and each ward should contribute to a stake United Order so that um, if one ward has uh, a tannery or a brick mill or a sawmill, and another ward has like cattle and sheep and whatever, they can all contribute to uh, one central location where there would be a president over that United, or over the several United Orders, just like with the stake and the wards. <coughs> Excuse me. But, um, you know, if they're not set up right, then there's just confusion and stuff. Are you going to read any more? Okay, I'll continue on. John R. Young wrote to President Brigham Young and gave a one-sided story of the division. Brigham Young must have discovered the reason for the trouble and sent a letter back to John, which settled the issue. John returned for the letter of apology and his intention to decline any further presiding position. We're on page 108 at 62%. You were unmuted, Kim. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's fine. As far as I know, I have it turned all the way down so I can barely hear it when you're on. Uh, 
because your microphone picks up my headset for some reason because it's that good. Or not. Yeah, anyway, do you want me to continue reading or did you want to? One page, one away. I'll just continue reading. Oh, you got it? Okay, I'll mute myself. On August 8th. I got it. Okay. Yep. On August 8th, a telegram came from the First Presidency of the Church, informing them that L. John Nettle was being sent to replace Bishop Levi Stewart. This action would be the means of uniting the people together under one man, who would be both bishop and president of the order. Nettle's ability and wise decisions soon united the people by employing chief members of both sides in a high position, in high positions. Thus, 58 families were reunited. But... A year later, when another reorganization took place, ill feelings were prevalent again. Prevalent. Okay. Alan Frost's diary, August 24th, 1877, says, quote, A strong feeling of the dissatisfaction is showing itself in many members of the United Order, which is a sweet morsel to the opposition party. There seems to be a crisis drawing near. End quote from Alan Frost's diary, August 24th, 1877. On August 29th, 1877, so only five days later, Brigham Young died, and Nettle had gone, had to go back to Salt Lake City to help unsnarl the properties of Brigham Young's estate from that of the church. <clears throat> Sextus Johnson, a mild-mannered and frail schoolteacher, became the new bishop and third president of the order. He was young, inexperienced, and lacked the power to control the various fa- factions. He later wrote to Nettle and said that particular pains is sick, taken to chastise me in public. And he desired to be released to go on a mission to Arizona or Mexico or any other place. On June 8th, 18th. Yes. I've been trying to wave you down, trying to get your attention. John L. Nettle was um, Brigham Young's secretary. And um, Brigham Young had the symptoms of arsenic poisoning, and they exhumed his body, and they found that he was poisoned by arsenic, Brigham Young, and they wanted to try to figure out, and they still have all of Brigham Young's furniture and all of his stuff. Well, John L. Nuttall gave him coffee every morning, and they found in the coffee pot, in, in his coffee cup, the arsenic that he was being poisoned by, which was issued to him by Nuttall. Interesting thing, John Taylor was also uh, poisoned to death by arsenic poisoning through the same method, and Nuttall was the one issuing it to him in the coffee, which isn't against the word of wisdom. I'm sorry, but they drank coffee back then. Not a big deal. It wasn't until Heber J. Grant that that changed. Anyway, so so uh, John, uh, Joseph Smith was murdered. Brigham Young was murdered. John Taylor was murdered. And Wilfred Woodruff was also murdered. And there have been other presidents of the church who have been murdered secretly through poisonings. Um, but most of the members don't know about these things. So anyway... Go ahead, Kim. On June 8th, 1884. On June 8th, 1884, Edwin B. Woolley was appointed as stake president and Richard S. Robinson, 
was made bishop, concluding the organized effort of KNABS or KNABS United Order, and placing it back into a ward stake private enterprise system, also caused by transaction between members and non-members of the order. We're on page 109. But it was the opening of the public land in the area that made a final blow to the little colony. Mount Carmel. Carmel? Carmel. Yeah, Mount Carmel. After reorganizing the United Order in Canab on the 11th, 1874, John R. Young set up an order on March 20th at M- Mr. Carmel. Is that wrong? Okay. It says M- Mr., but it's Mount. Yeah. It's Mount Carmel. <laughs> and two days later at Glendale, Mount Carmel was so named for its resemblance to the Mount Carmel in Palestine. The colonists of this order were composed of saints who had been on the muddy expedition in Nevada. They had suffered for several years several severe years, and were trained in hard knocks. Even though these members suffered from crop failure, they were determined to succeed in their united efforts. Mount Carmel had its first major setback when the treasurer of the order, Henry B.M. Jolly, announced his withdrawal. Brigham Young blamed the dissensions that occurred on Bishop James Lathead, Lafide, because of the lack of firmness there. Therefore, Howard Orson Spencer was sent down in September to replace Bishop Lafide as president of the order, the people voting to accept him at the November 6th conference. But Howard Spencer also had troubles with the order. We're on page 110. In the Kanab United Order, P.T. Riley, Historical Quarterly, volume 42, page 156, says, quote, here the people were divided between the individuals of an acquisitive or acquisitive society and those communally minded souls reaching for a Mormon utopia. The first group simply would not accept the United Order as presented by John R. Young. Bishop Spencer, seeing the basic differences between them were irreconcilable, sorry, advised those of one mind to establish a new town. According to the advocates of the order, began moving up the valley on February 20th, 1875, and soon established Orderville. Bishop Spencer's Solomon-like decision not only, dis- oh, not only satisfied the Jollyites, that's right, right, the Jollyites? Sure. Okay, <laughs> the Jollyites at Mount Carmel, but allowed the, op- the opposing side a freedom of choice which affected the formation of the most outstanding United Order to be spawned by the movement. End quote. That's from the Kanab United Order, P.T. Riley, Historical Quarterly, Volume 42, page 156. Thus, the Mount Carmel Order was dissolved because of personal disagreements. St. George. St. George, so named for the Apostle George A. Smith, was the winter headquarters for Brigham Young. It was here that the United Order was first established and was therefore under the supervision of President Brigham Young. One of the first projects achieved was a program for consistency in the control and merchandising of goods in the importing and exporting from St. George, which was a central hub of exchange. It was also in a group of five miles south of St. George that the first family form of the United Order was organized, page 111. 
Brigham Young offered to donate a large piece of property, large enough for 500 to 1,000 people to settle upon, to start the business to see if we can actually accomplish the affair and show the Latter-day Saints how to build up Zion. That comes from Journal of Discourse, Volume 15, page 227. The St. George Order continued for about three years after which money merely passed through the company and landed in the pockets of those who had donated or contributed the most. It was beginning to be a capitalistic stock market or shareholder profiteering rather than a common cooperative. This course created ill feelings and caused many to desire disincorporation. After six years, it too gave its death rattle and was gone. <laughs> Do you want to say anything right there is a good breaking point? I don't know. I could just give my opinion on it, but it's an ignorant opinion. Uh, Brigham Young wanted that United Order there because it was the nicest place in all of Utah, and it's where he went to the most. And uh, he probably had a large influence in it, and he was the kind of person that was more interested in stockholding and making money than having a cooperative United Order. He never was in a united order, and I actually can condemn him for that. Maybe that's an ignorant condemnation, but it is my judgment, and I will judge, uh, that he was more interested in making money and being a capitalistic businessman than having a cooperation or a united order. So that's my impression of that united order. And uh, I will not reserve my judgment. I judge him fully uh, based on his actions. And uh, I condemn him completely. And I know that a lot of people will be like, oh, you're condemning the Lord's anointed. Well, he wasn't the Lord's anointed. That revelation that he gave at the beginning of this chapter was one that he wrote up, and he even said it was not a revelation from God. He never got revelation. No, that Kim's muted and she's trying to talk, but um, she was saying uh, she wanted to know if Brigham Young was the one that said the heavens were his breast. No, that was Heber J. Grant. But Brigham Young did say that he had never seen an angel and he had never seen Jesus Christ, and he hoped that if he lived to uh, 90 years old, that he would see Jesus. But he didn't live that old, so he died August 29th, 1877. Anyway, are you uh, ready to continue? All right, I'll mute myself. Thus, some of the joys and sorrows, successes and failures can be seen by studying these communities. Even though some knew the theory was correct, it was very difficult for them to actually agree in the practice to the practice of the United Order. Brigham Young described his, this reluctance among some of the brethren. In Journal of Discourse, Volume 17, page 43, quote, We organized every water town south of the rim of the basin and left them in tolerably good working order so far as they had advanced. The only trouble with them was they did not understand. Again, they're blaming somebody else. It's them. They would say, yeah, he's saying they don't give him proper instruction, which is true. They would say it is right, and the scriptures tell us about it, but we do not understand the mode of its operation. One man came to me, an old Mormon, whom I have known over 42 years, just as we were organizing, and said, Brother Brigham, I have preached for you all the time. 
I did the same for Brother Joseph. Brother Joseph preached this doctrine. Is it not strange that the people do not see it? Then, said I, you are ready to put down your name? His answer was, I think, I, I will think about it. You do not fully understand your own faith, nor the doctrines you preach to the people, if you do not understand this doctrine and are not re- as ready to enter it as you would be to lay down this mortal body and enter heaven if God should call you, or to do any other duty. Suffice it to say, God will establish this order on the face of the earth, and if we do not help him, others will, and they will enjoy the benefits of it. End quote from Journal of Discourse, Volume 17, page 43. I don't know. I just have a huge problem with this because, like, they're like, uh, you guys need to live the United Order. We've been preaching it all this time. Okay, well, we don't understand the mode of operation of the United Order. How can we understand the mode? We need instruction. Well, you have to have faith that the United Order is the thing that God wants you to do. Okay, well, how do we live that? Well, you have to be obedient to living the United Order and having all things in common. And if you don't do it, you're not faithful. Well, how are we supposed to do that if you're not giving us instruction? Well, you have to have faith that the United Order is the thing that you have to do because it's God's will. How do we do it? They never tell you how to do it. They don't get revelation on how to do it. Not even a little bit. Because the church was cursed and rejected in Nauvoo, according to section 124, and they were just continuing to limp along and try to do the best that they could do, but they didn't get instructions. Not one time have I seen the, the book of, of uh, the United or the Order of Enoch pulled out and shared. I have the book. You know, I don't, I don't really like everything in it. I think that there can be, I don't think United Earths have to be rigid and the order of Enoch was a little bit uh, rigid, but um, but they didn't even try to like give hardly any instructions on how things should be. They they just basically set people apart and said, "Go to it, figure it out." And then people would be like, uh, "I don't know what we're doing," and then there would be huge divisions, and there would not be common consent among the United Orders, and then they would fall apart because there was no flipping foundation for them to live the United Order or to start it to begin with. And then the church uh, leaders would blame the members. Well, if they were more faithful, they could have done it. And the members are all like, you never gave us instructions on what we were supposed to do, you know? And then Kim needs to unmute herself if she wants to talk. And then they blame them. That's what they do. They're like, well, it's not working because of you, not because of us, because we're amazing and we're God's people, but it's because of you. Yeah, God's chosen people. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, Continuing on. Yep, yep. Even Brigham Young himself who knew the great blessings that could accompany the law of the United Order, found difficulty in joining one. He enthusiastically once said in Journal Discourse, Volume 18, page 248, quote, this is what I calculate to do, and I'm going to do. Ask me if I'm going into the order with all that I have. Yes, as I told them in a meeting not long ago. I am going in with hat, coat, vest, pants, shirt, boots, and all I have. 
And if the question is asked, if your family do not go into the order, what are you going to do with your property? I am going to seal it up to the kingdom of God, for I do not mean that the enemies of the kingdom shall have a penny if I can help it. I want it appropriated for the salvation of the human family to build temples to sustain the families of the elders who go abroad to preach. I want it to be used for the good of the poor and for the establishing of truth and righteousness on the earth. Journal Discourse, Volume 18, page 200. I'm sorry, but cover your ears if you are Miss Molly Mormon. He was so full of shit that his eyes were brown and he was puking up diarrhea. I'm sorry. That man is a hypocritical liar. He never went into United Order, you know, like, and people were questioning him about it at the time. And he's like, yeah, I'll go into United Order when I find one that I want to be in. And I want all of the things on all of the riches that I have to go for the building up of the kingdom of God. Full of shit. The man was a hypocrite and a liar. He had control over the people. He lived on the lavishness. Um, the, uh, you know, he, he lived on the backs of the poor. And then he condemned them for not living United Orders, but he wouldn't give them instructions on how to live in United Order. He never led by leadership. He led by condemnation. He led by um, bossing people around, but he wouldn't actually live, live by, um, what do you call it, Kim, when you, when you lead by example? He didn't do that. And then he would condemn people. And then when people would question him about it, he was like, yeah, I'm going to live the United Order. Of course I'm going to live the United Order. I'll bring all my things into the United Order. Wait, the Brigham Young United Order of his 36 wives? So actually what he was doing there um, is actually a form of control. It's a form of manipulation. So he was saying what he would do, though he never did it, but he was trying to influence others to say that, um, what if my family, it says right here, what if my family won't go? I'm going to consecrate all my land, all the places my family is living that I own. I'm going to consecrate all that to the order. Even if the people who are living on it aren't going to be part of a united order, I'm going to do everything that I have and give it to the order is what they're saying. I'm going to give it all to the order. And so he's saying, even if, which he never did because his wives and like him never lived in a United Order. So he didn't consecrate his things, but he was saying that's what he would do because he wanted all of the people, even if they um, had left their families for whatever reason, he wanted them to donate all of their goods and all of everything to an order. That's like, I give my whole paycheck to Kim and everything in this house is Kim and so I have you know my clothes and, and my garments that I wear and my socks and my boots and you know I have a few things well I'm going to go into United Order and everything that I already like everything that is here I give Kim my paycheck and she takes care of everything because that's the way it works for our family well, I go into United Order, but, you know, it's all Kim's, so I'm not going to worry about it. Even though I'll live in Kim's house and enjoy Kim's nice things that I provide for her to have, you know, through working a lot and whatever. You know, um, yeah, I'll go into United Order, 
myself with my boots and whatever, and I'll even work in the United Order, but but this stuff that I have, this isn't actually mine. This is Kim's, and we're just going to leave this behind. And it's kind of like Brigham Young with all the things that he owned. Yeah, I'll sure, I'll go into the United Order with my boots and my hat and my my garments and my socks and my shoes. Sure, I'll go into the United he wouldn't consecrate anything that he had to a united order, not even among the 12. So I don't know. Anyway, it, it just makes me sick. And it, the whole thing makes me sick. And like, I can't stand any of this stuff because I know how it was and I know how it is. And I know that the, that the, the heart of Ephraim is still the same corruption and wickedness in all ages of the world. And, you know, in, um, in Isaiah chapter 28, when it talks about the one mighty and strong going among they who, um, sorry, Amberly was just coming over here to a, attacking me with her hugs and her kisses. Hold on. Just let me finish and I'll mute myself, Amberly. Anyway, but, um. In Isaiah chapter 28, it talks about the one mighty and strong coming among the drunkards of Ephraim. And it says all of their tables are full of vomit and filth. It's because, uh, for one, they look at the meat of the gospel as though it is vomit and filth. So they will not approach the meat of the gospel. The United Order is part of the meat of the gospel. And uh, he can only teach they who are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. But the only problem is you get a bunch of people that know a lot about church history and about the doctrines and stuff. They get prideful about what they know, and you can't correct them. You know, there are a bunch of elders who know too much. I think Brigham, or John, no, Joseph Smith talked about how he couldn't teach the people because they knew too much. It's the same in our age of the world as well, you know, but among the common people of the of the restoration, they look at polygamy and uh celestial marriage, whatever uh united orders, law of adoption, consecration, they look at all of these as as the meat of the gospel that we don't have to worry about that anymore, and they kind of look at it as as filth and vomit, and that's what Isaiah saw he saw that all of their tables are full of filth and vomit. It's not because that it is actually filth and vomit. It's because the meat of the gospel has been spewed out of the church as though it was filth and vomit. So, okay, uh, Kim, yeah. That was June of 1874. By August of the same year, he said, in Journal of Discourse, Volume 17, page 157, I am laboring under a certain embarrassment, and so are many others, with regard to deeding property. And that is to find men who know what to do with property when it is in their hands. That's Journal of Discourse, Volume 17, page 157. But Brigham never did find anyone that he thought was capable of handling his fortune. Within three years, he was dead. And his estate was so entangled up with the church property that it took revelation to John Taylor to unscramble it to the satisfaction of his children. But most of the orders, like the church, were embroiled in financial and social problems. The orders had trouble getting the rich to join instead of all the poor. 
when the wealthy did join, they caused trouble because of the way their goods were being handled or used. Some of the members were lazy, incompetent, wasteful, or just outright dishonest. Then when they were chastised, they let their feelings take over. Many were filled with jealousy, envy, stubbornness, or pride. Some of the orders began to be run under the principles of priestcraft instead of priesthood. The leaders would use funds and materials for their own benefit instead of that of the people in the order. The Lord had realized this would be a perpetual problem within any church or, or group. And he warned in BNC 104 verse 71, And there shall not any part of it be used or taken out of the treasury only by the voice and common consent of the order. End quote. Again, that's BNC 104 um, chapter, or verse 71. When money or funds were taken from the treasury without the common consent or without being used for common benefits, the people were under a priestcraft and had a justifiable excuse for abandoning such a system. Within a few years of the inception of these United Orders, most of them no longer existed. Nearly every community that tried and failed in the practice of the United Order never made another attempt. Those principles have died in the pages of history, labeled as non-essential or having been replaced. No effort or exertion from the pulpit or the press could encourage the saints to become united in their economic social structure. And now we're on page 115, at the beginning of chapter 9, a glimpse of success. Um, if you wanted to call in and have any questions or comments, the call-in number is 917-889-8827. Um, we do have lines open and available. If you just wanted to chat or talk with the uh, moderator or if you want to talk with Mark, um, you could just call in and raise your hand. He can bring you in the box and you can chat with him on the side. Or if you wanted to go live on the air, that's fine too. He can uh, bring you out on air also to ask your questions. I'm just going to read the first um, you know, paragraph or so, uh, probably paragraph and quote, um, it looks like, of page 115 on chapter nine um it's called a glimpse of success um so did you have anything you wanted to add before i did that no but we'll get into this on monday i'm not doing a show tomorrow okay all right will the time ever come that we can commence and organize as people as a family it will do we know how yes what was lacking in these revelations from joseph to enable us to do so was revealed to me that came, from, that came from Brigham Young, Journal of Discourse, Volume 11, page 326. Well, that's kind of funny because if it was revealed to him so much, why didn't he ever give instruction on how it should be done? God, that man is so full of shit. I'm sorry. Is this, it's just, I, I'm sorry. You know what? You think that Brigham Young was the Lord's anointed? He absolutely was not. He was a servant of the Lord. That he was full of hypocrisy. Uh, he proclaimed to have all of the uh, answers, but he never gave any of the instruction. You know, and then he would condemn people and criticize people for not doing what they were supposed to do. All living in the lap of luxury. You know, he he ignores the whole idea that, you know, what Jesus said, it is not given for one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin and sin and if you'll be a Zion people you must be equal in all things he he didn't even try to be equal in all things he was a dictator a, the, a theocratic dictator he was a hypocrite and a liar and uh, you know what David in the, the Bible um, 
he had his faults too. It didn't mean that he wasn't God's servant. And I'm I'm not going to say that Brigham Young wasn't God's. I know that he was God's servant. And we're all fallen, you know, and whatever. But the man was a damn hypocrite. And the uh, this idea that people believe that he was the Lord's anointed, after reviewing section 124, it just boggles my mind that anybody accepts him as a prophet. Not not as the Lord's anointed. I mean, you can be a prophet in many different ways, but to be the prophet or the Lord's anointed as Joseph Smith was, I'm sorry, he wasn't. He didn't lead by example. He uh, criticized people for not for not doing things. You know, oh, the the saints want to have yellow ribbons in their dresses to make their dresses look nice. Why don't they donate that money to the church so the church can have it? All while while he was living in the lap of luxury with the finest of clothing and the finest of furniture and find everybody else is living in mud huts and he he has a damn mansion. Okay, screw Brigham Young. I mean, the father told me not to judge Brigham Young, and maybe I'm sinning and judging Brigham Young, but screw Brigham Young, seriously. Anyway, Kim, go ahead. Some of the members of the church were given revelations and manifestations to convince them of importance of the law of united order. For them, this principle was of divine origin, and they had a religious conviction that it was true. Others were touched by the spirit of it when they heard it and received a testimony that it was to be obeyed. For example, Charles Walker described his convictions when he heard of its announcement. Um, This comes from Charles Walker Journal, page 382, quote, Sunday, February 15, 1874. Went to a meeting all day. Brother Brigham spoke in a powerful manner with a spirit that went to the hearts of the people, saying that the time had come for this people to enter into the order of Enoch. He said, the Lord said, come. The spirit said, come, and said, meaning the first presidency, we say, come, and let us enter into the united order and devote our labor, time, talent, means, strengths, and abilities to the building up of Zion of our God. Said if we would enter into it, we should have wealth and union and the blessings of the most high would attend us. If we would not receive it, we should bring curses upon ourselves. Sin would lie at our own doors. He said that now was the time, not tomorrow, next year, but right now, today. He then called for a show of hands of those who are willing to enter the order to be controlled temporarily or temporarily and all things to the building up of Zion the vote of hands was unanimous with very few exceptions. At least I saw no contrary vote. And after meeting, after meeting, I authorized H. Irving, the clerk, to put my name down as willing to join the order. That's Charles Walker Journal, page 382. Okay. Okay. Let me just see if, I, if there's anybody in the uh, in the studio. And if there's not, we're just going to... Uh, music for the end of the show, but I don't see anybody in the, nobody called in. Let me just check the chat room real quick and make sure there's nobody in there. And I don't see anybody in there. So, all right, well, we'll, we'll be back on probably on, uh, on Monday. Let me see what day that is. That'll be on the 20th, 
of September, and that will be um, when we do chapter. What chapters with eight? Are we on eight, Kim? Okay. So yeah, we'll be on chapter nine. I'm not. I'm having issues here. Anyway, I am sick, so. But I think that I think that went pretty well for. Um, for being sick, I didn't even want to do the program today. I was thinking of canceling it, so I'm glad we didn't cancel it. And I guess we'll just leave it at that point. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. God bless. And goodbye. Mm-hmm.